Mark chapter 2, I'm going to jump into verse 23. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so hopefully they, they got that in the back today. Yeah, great. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 says, One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, they're not harvesting, they're hungry. What are you talking about? Haven't you ever read the scriptures that David, when he and his companions were hungry, he went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And we know about David's companions, they were wild men. Then the Bible says, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath, this is powerful, was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Jesus is like, you understand the letter of the law, but you don't understand the spirit of the law. The letter of the law kills. The letter of the law will have you sitting in front of food and not eating it. You ever hear the story, God, I asked you to provide, and God's like, I sent a helicopter, and you, you ever heard that one, I sent a boat, and you didn't, it's like, God's like, there's bread, but God, it's, it's sacred, it's communion bread, <laughs> eat it, <laughs> but God, only the priest, God's like, if you're hungry, eat it. Oh my goodness. So, so many times we miss the provision that God has for us because we are trying to keep the letter of the law. We need to talk a little bit more about this, I think, don't we? So, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. We ask that you speak to us, clarify who you are in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I already prayed, didn't I? I'm tired. (laughs) When I was... uh, I was growing up, just, just ask these guys who have preached for me. This was like, for some of them, this is the first time they've had to preach three services in a row. And at, by the second one, you're like, did I say that already? Have I done that? Why am I sweating so hard? Um, <laughs> when I was younger, my parents uh, used to do something pretty cool. My mom in particular, when she would get home with groceries or she had been to the store or something, she would be like, hey, Robbie, I want you to run out and uh, get the groceries out of the trunk of the car. And so I would run out and get the groceries out of the trunk of the car and, and I'd bring them in and, and she would be like, did you see it? And I was like, see what? She was like, I got something in there for you. And so I would open up the groceries and inside the groceries would be like a Hot Wheels or some G.I. Joe character or something like that. And it was so awesome because she was teaching me that sometimes in keeping the most simple of instructions, there's a hidden blessing I wasn't just sending you out to get the groceries that were going to provide food for you, but I also wanted you to know that sometimes in the simplicity of obedience, there's a blessing that comes that you didn't expect. Isn't that good, man? I I just think about that all the time because I think that's the way God works with us. And if we're not careful, we will see the commands as prohibition instead of provision. And we will have a mindset when we think about God and serving God of avoidance instead of engagement. And we will live our lives trying to avoid certain things instead of engaging in the things that God has provided for us. They weren't harvesting, they were hungry. 
And so if you're not careful, you will miss the things that God wants to put into your life because you're so busy trying to do everything right, you don't do anything wrong and allow him to become the provision where you don't do it right. Okay, this is good. We don't understand this in Western Christianity. We don't get this because we have this dualistic God who is, it's, it's this good cop, bad cop thing where Jesus is like the good cop and God is the bad cop and Jesus comes in the room and he's like, listen, if you'll just tell me everything you did, this guy will not kill you. But if you, right, I love you. I'm compassionate. I'm kind. But this guy wants to murder you. He wants you to die. He wants you to live in a prison cell for the rest of your life. But I love you. And if you're not careful, that's how you'll see the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit's just off in the corner crying, being weird somewhere, making people speak in tongues. Instead of seeing him as a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you will see him as a God who like is really crazy and had a just a vengeance kind of mindset in the Old Testament. And then he took a 400-year hiatus. Him and Aaron Rodgers went to a dark cave somewhere and hung out, did ayahuasca and some mushrooms and smoked dope and came out on the other end real happy driving a VW. So it's important, isn't it? I think, it, I think the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Because when you're not careful, you'll have such a wrong view of God and it will affect everything you do for God. Huh. Every command God gives is not just about prohibition, it's about provision. That's why the psalmist under the Old Covenant said, I love your laws. I love them. They're a blessing to me. I don't see them as a hindrance. I see them as provision. And when you stop using the law as a means of salvation or a means of holiness or a means to get God's attention, you will learn to love them as well. You will see that they are not how God prohibits you from having life, but how God opens up the door to blessings that you would not ever know any other way. It's how God provides for you. God's commands are how God provides for you. So the pathway that God gives us to more of him usually begins with him asking something of us. Go get the groceries. I got something in the groceries Besides groceries. Don't put any gods before me. I've got something in that command that's greater than just your adherence to that command. Don't covet your neighbor's things. It's not just about prohibiting you from coveting your neighbor's things. It's about blessing you because God is like, man, if you could ever just get content with what you have and seeing the blessing where you are right now, your life would overflow with joy. Your life would overflow with peace. I'm trying to provide for you. You see me as limiting you so you don't see it correctly, so you can't receive it correctly. 
Think about this for a second. In John chapter 4, there's this woman that Jesus comes to, and he meets her at this well. And when Jesus meets this woman, he says to her, he says, hey, uh, give me a drink of water. She's like, this is a strange thing. And Jesus is like, um, if you would have known who it was that asked you for a drink of water, you would have actually asked him for a drink of water. What happened that day? She shows up. Jesus asks her to give him something. And then he actually becomes the thing that he is asking her to give him. Think about that for a second. He becomes for you what he asks of you. He asks you for water. He becomes water. Same thing happened in Luke chapter 9 verse 13. The Bible says that there was a crowd gathered around hearing Jesus. It was getting late in the day. And the disciples realized, hey, we're not close to any food. We need to send these people home so they can go to the markets and get something to eat. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And immediately they begin to look at their life and like, we don't have anything. And they look around and they find this little lunch and they're like, hey, hey, bread of life, here's some bread. Hey, creator of the fish, here's some fish. This is all we've got. See what Jesus, it, see what he does when he commands you to do something is it's actually an invitation for you to watch him become what he is asking of you. When you give in the house of God, you're not providing for God. It's an opportunity, it's an invitation to watch God start to provide for you. And God says, if you think what you gave was a big deal, watch how I bless your life after you give. Give, and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And the problem with many of us is it's not running over because we don't want to give it because we see it as a restriction and not provision. So anytime God wants to bless you, he starts by asking something of you. If God is asking something of you that's extremely difficult, you should go ahead and put your hands together, start clapping, start rejoicing, start dancing, start shouting, because it means that God is getting ready to be for you what he has asked of you. Anybody in the room, has God asked some big things of your life? Then God's getting ready to do some big miracles in your life. I wonder if you could just preemptively put your hands together and thank him that he's asking you to do something that you don't have provision for. Oh, man. This is actually what prayer is. Can you imagine the bread of life asking you for bread? He doesn't eat bread. He is the bread. He's inviting you in an into an opportunity to see him become bread. Become provision. Oh, my goodness. And this is what prayer is. Prayer is literally us asking God to be for us what we cannot be for ourselves. God, I don't have everything that it takes to be a good father. Would you be for me what I cannot be for myself? That's your only hope, honestly. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians says, you have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans tells me that I have been predestined to be conformed into his 
image. So wherever you have lack this morning, that's a beautiful opportunity for you to say, God, I don't have it. Can you be for me? Will you be for me what I cannot be for myself? Can somebody in the room say amen to that? And when you live like that, contradiction, lack, pain, and suffering take on a different meaning. They actually become fuel to your relationship with God. Instead of this mindset that says, if I'm suffering, if I'm in pain, if there's lack, then God must be punishing me, or God must be angry with me, or God must be absent from my situation, or God doesn't care about me. Suffering actually in the Bible is celebrated by the the original disciples by the early church because they knew it was an opportunity for God to be for them what they could not be for themselves. And what was so beautiful about the early church that actually is a frustration for us and our walk with God is they didn't have anything to attach their joy to. They didn't have stuff to attach their peace to. They didn't have stuff to attach their contentment to. So the reason, I, the reason most of my messages wouldn't even, wouldn't even touch the surface of a New Testament church in, in the Bible is because they weren't constantly having to be convinced that God loved them in their suffering. Because all they knew was suffering. But in the American culture, we have this, we have this theology that says if we don't have stuff, then we're not blessed. If we don't have things, then we're not blessed. But if you look at the New Testament, they all were, as a matter of fact, Jesus says in this life, you will have trouble. It's going to be hard, but, but do not be afraid for I have overcome the world. And so when a Christian in the early church didn't have stuff, they were like, this doesn't make any difference in my life because I've had a lot and I've had a little and I've learned to be content in all things. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all situations. As a matter of fact, there are situations in the New Testament where you see the, the New Testament church being commended because out of their poverty, they gave what even rich people couldn't give. So I just came to tell somebody this morning that God has given you what you need. It's what you have that's getting in the way. Mm. Oh, man. I heard someone say, people are meant to be loved, things are meant to be used. But our culture has it the opposite. People are used and things are loved. And I'm trying to flip it on the enemy because I believe that God wants to bring revival to this area. But I don't believe God wants to bring revival the way we think he wants to bring revival. I don't think it's about us getting new stuff and new cars and new houses. I don't even think it's, I don't think it's a revival of interest rates going down or inflation changing or the White House changing. I don't think any of that stuff has to change for God to do what God wants to do because God's economy is not connected. You go into other nations, you don't even have to preach this way. But we still have to convince Americans, hey, God loves you. God is for you. But you look at your situation, you're like, but it doesn't doesn't look like God loves me. It doesn't look like God is for me. 
I remember being in Haiti right after the earthquake. I remember the first church service I went to. They asked me to speak and I thought, man, I'm going to get in there and I just want to remind all these Haitians that God loves them and that God is for them and he's not forgotten them and, and they're probably going to come into this. It's just going to be a sad and somber thing. I'm going to try to lift their spirits and I get in there and the music starts and these people who had lost their homes, they had lost entire families, had been destroyed, kids, orphaned. Parents lost their entire family structure. Their kids were gone because their school collapsed on their children. As soon as the music starts, days before they lost everything, they start to, nobody had to go, let's clap our hands. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Come on, let's give God glory. Come on, dance before. They took off in a worship and a joy and an expression of love for God that I had never seen before. I didn't have to convince them that they were loved by God. I had to convince myself that I had misunderstood the love of God. Because I thought the love of God might have been attached to, hey, he's going to restore all of that. He's going to bring it all back. And you're going to get your houses back and your land back. For some of them, they never got any of that back. But it didn't matter to them because they hadn't lost what they, what they couldn't lose. And that was the love of God. That was the kindness and goodness of God. Oh, my gosh. Pain and suffering were never meant to make you question God's love. It's meant to push you deeper into it. Your needs are not an invitation for you to try harder, do better. Your needs are an invitation for you to trust deeper. I just feel like we need to spend more time talking about who Jesus is and less talk, time talking about what we're not. And can I tell you this? For many of you, the answer is you need a relationship with God that isn't curated for you. I just wonder what many of our relationships would look like with God without Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I really don't have to go that far back to discover that for most Americans, we don't have one if we don't have this. I just, that's tough, but what I discovered in 2020 is that most people liked church, they didn't love God. Oh man. Wow, what a danger, right? That you fall in love with an expression of church. You fall in love with some music and an atmosphere and an environment. You fall in love with a person's ability to communicate and not the God of the person communicating. And so when the music is gone and you can't be with the preacher that you like anymore, you don't even really know God. That's a dangerous religion that's dead and has no power. But what I've discovered is everything that is temporal is only appealing because you haven't been adequately exposed to what's eternal. In other words, what I think is the only reason you like the things you do is because you haven't been exposed to eternal things in a way 
that makes you see them and realize that they are way more real and valuable than the temporal things that you have right now. And when you get a glimpse of a life that is available in the spirit, you won't settle for anything less. You won't, you won't settle for anything less. If you're really living in the spirit, can I tell you this hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough. But for most people, we can go to church on a Sunday and then act like we don't even know who God is for the rest of the week. And this is important. This is important. I'm not saying this to jump on you. I'm saying this because this is why you still struggle with repetitive sin, with repetitive attitudes. Because listen to me, the presence of God will do more to fix your behavior than your discipline will ever do. And the problem with most of us is we get a little bit in here, but we don't have any the rest of the week. And the rest of the week, we're trying to live off a of discipline, and we only have one day a week where we experience presence. But I was never intended to live a life of discipline without presence. As a matter of fact, I should have more presence than discipline. Okay. Somebody said to me once, so they said, they said, man, you must love to study. It's like, what would give you that impression? Have you not heard what my GPA was in school, dropped out of college? I don't know. I mean, I went to Bible college, but I mean, come on, it's Bible college. It was online, guys, most of it. <laughs> you love to study. And I'm like, oh, I love to play golf. But I'm learning to love to study. Why? Because studying loves me more than golf loves me. Because when I'm studying the word of God, I'm investing my life into something that is eternal. When I'm playing golf, yes, it's fun and I have a good time and I enjoy it, but it's not giving me anything back. Does that make sense? So no wonder you, you, you get excited for a few minutes when you get a new car, you get a new house, you get a new spouse, or, you get, <laughs> or you, you get excited for a minute, but everything that is temporal fades. <laughs> oh, it fades. Yes, it does. <laughs> it fades bad. Just ask the plastic surgeons in our area. They are busy. It's fading. Y'all are all fading. We're all fading. <laughs> so no wonder we're so frustrated is because we have put our joy and our peace and our comfort into things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal. So like I... I didn't love to study, but I'm learning to love to study because studying gives back to me in a way that playing golf, golf does not give back to me. It takes from me. <laughs> I just keep buying Pro V1s. I don't know if you, if you play golf, Tyler's Pro V1s, that's the, that's the golf ball. But I just keep buying, I lose them constantly, but I keep, golf takes from me. My wife is never going, you know, our marriage is better because you play golf. She's never said that to me. 
<laughs> but reading the word, studying prayer, man, that's made my, my marriage better a thousand times over. <laughs> so we've got to shift, right? We've got to shift our mindset from one of avoidance to engagement. If not, our walk with God literally only is about what we cannot do. What to avoid. But this is not a gospel of avoidance. Jesus did not say, hey, avoid all the world. He said, go into all the world. And so he invites me into a, a life. And li- what does Jesus say in John 10? Verses 9 through 10, he says, the enemy has come to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. And I think if we're not careful, we'll we'll think of God as taking the life out of the party. Religion takes the life out of the party. You weren't at that wedding last night because there was a lot of life in that party. But uh, like I said, <laughs> it was, it was, we partied just as hard as they do in the world, but we didn't wake up with the regret that they wake up with. So Jesus did not come to remove the life from the party. He actually came to bring real life to the party. So now when you party and you celebrate and you rejoice, it doesn't take from you. It actually adds value to your life. We woke up with our own spouses this morning, not in the beds of strangers, not with shame, not with regret. But we partied. Hmm, My goodness. And I think if we're not careful, we'll see Jesus as like, you'll be walking and you'll be like, you know, seeing some grain on a stalk. And you'll be like, oh, man, that looks good. And Jesus is like, poof. <laughs> you know, it's the Sabbath. What the heck are you doing, man? But I'm hungry. Not today. It's fasting. I'm declaring a fast. But fasting sounds like work. You're getting it. I, I literally, it was like I could see a light bulb go off in the room like, well, well, well you know, maybe, maybe because it's the Sabbath and uh, it would look like we're harvesting and we don't want to do that. Maybe we'll just declare it a fast. And some of y'all are like, you like skip, skip breakfast. And you're like, I'm fasting today. It's like, you don't eat breakfast ever. You, you don't get to... <laughs> Jesus is like, man, you're very careful to keep the letter of the law, but you miss the spirit of the law. The Sabbath was not meant for you to keep up with the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant to help you. Oh, my God. Wow, so Jesus comes to provide life, life to the fullest it's tough sometimes preaching and you, f- you feel that you constantly, and I want to, I want to constantly remind you of how God feels about you. I want to constantly remind you that you are justified. You've been saved by grace through faith, not of works. I want to do that, but, but there are parts of me that are like, man, I just, I just wish you would believe that so we could talk less about 
how God feels about you. I wish you were just convinced in that so we could talk more about where you're seated. You know what I mean? So, because it's like, it's, 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 we should be convinced, but the problem is we're so hard to convince because the convincing is in all of the things that we don't have and the stuff that we didn't get and the things that happened to us. And now we live this life like, God, do you even, do you even, God's like, what do you mean do I even? I sent my son to make provision for you for 2,000 years ago. What do you mean do I even care? Do I even hear you? I answered your prayer. I became for you what you could never be for yourself. This is, this is so important because the enemy's strategy, especially in Western Christianity, is to fight our identity. Because he understands and knows that if we start to believe who we are, then his dominion over us, it's gone. And understanding who you are will cause you to live holy in a way that trying to stop sinning could never accomplish in your life. I've said this before to you many times, but I believe we all function in a way that is consistent with what we believe about God and ourselves. But if I told you that, man, you're related to the king of England and then just walked away, you'd be like, thanks, I already knew that. Ancestry.com, homie, 23andMe, like I know. <laughs> My sister-in-law, it's so funny. She, uh, <laughs> she did a, an ancestry or 23andMe, one of those, and she sent it in and it came back and where it had father listed, it said unknown and she knew her dad had taken the same test. So she's freaking around. She's like calling all of her sisters like, I can't even, I don't even, I'm, he's not my dad. Like I don't even, and he, but he just didn't check the box to release that information. So she literally lived for a couple hours, her whole life just flashing before her eyes. It's funny how information can, can do something to us for a little bit, but if, if that information doesn't turn into revelation, it doesn't help us long term. So I can tell you, you're related to the king of England all day long, but unless I take you and fly you over there and move you into that house and move you into that palace and say, hey, all of this belongs to you, this is your inheritance, it doesn't change your life. But if that happens, you're going to have to rearrange some things in your life. That's what I just want, that's what I want to tell you today is like, you didn't just get your ticket punched when you put your faith in Jesus and like one day, eternal life is gonna start and you're gonna to get to heaven, but until then, you're just gonna to have to live in this hellhole called earth. Eternity doesn't start when you die. Eternity began when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The New Testament says that those who know God and his son Jesus have eternal life. You're not going to eternal life. You are living right now in eternal life. And you are not just hoping that one day when God comes back, he'll take you with him. No, you are already seated where you are going. So let's live understanding that no matter what my situation says, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I don't have to question the love of God because where I sit, I don't have to question the care of God because I know where I'm seated. This is important for us. I believe that this will change our lives. Will you stand on your feet with me today?
Why are we talking about listening to Jesus? Because Jesus is the full expression of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the word of God. He is exactly what God thinks and knows about himself. So if you want to know about God, listen to Jesus. I'm thankful for Moses and I'm thankful for Abraham, but Jesus even said of them, he said, no man has seen the father at any time except the son who comes from the father. Everything Moses told you was just a shadow and a blurry mirror. But Jesus is the full representation of God. And I came to tell some people today who have this duality, this dual, this like two God, like he's good cop, bad cop. I came to tell you that's not who he is. He is expressed fully in Jesus Christ. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. We thank you today that you are showing us more of who you are because you are revealing to us more of who we are. When we know you, it reveals to us who we are in you. And the enemy would want to convince us that we are anything but in Christ, that we are anything but secure, that we are anything but loved, that we are anything but the treasure of God, that we are anything but the apple of God's eye, that we are anything but the ones who God is constantly thinking about, but he's a liar. He's a liar. And I'm praying today that we would begin to believe more of who you say we are. And as we do that, watch his, we just will watch as his dominion over us fades and fades and fades. And we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you have given us these commands not to limit our lives, but to bless our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. I love you so much. Our prayer team will be up front to pray with anybody who would like prayer. God bless you. We'll see you very, very soon.